Hello? Hello, Chad. Hello. Chad Gregory went by the name of Taz in 1997, during the time period when he was friendly with a guy by the name of John Weeks. Meeting John was kind of uh, interesting, honestly. Um, what I didn't know uh, when I thought I originally met him was that I had actually met him a few times for about a year, uh, on and off for about a year prior because he had done work at Weeks Junkyard, which was previously owned by his grandfather. And uh, from what I understand from John, uh, his grandfather had actually left to him, but because he was a minor, his aunt uh, was uh, basically in control of it until he turned 18 and she turned around and sold it to his uncle um, without... Well, pretty much without his permission. He had been doing work on and off uh, over the years at Week Junkyard uh, as a late teen and uh, early adult. And Week's Junkyard is one of the junkyards I used to go to to pick up parts for cars and stuff. I've spoken with John's mother a number of times, and she confirmed that there had been an issue about the sale of the junkyard. John was upset about it, and that would certainly be something that went to his state of mind leading up to when he went missing. When police look at cases like this, even if there's a strong suspicion that foul play was involved, in the absence of a body and any physical evidence that a crime befell the victim, they have to look at everything that could also point to the idea that the person may have decided to leave town and start a new life. But in this case, we also have to look at the fact that there's been no activity on his social security number, he's never contacted any family or friends over the ensuing decades, and there's no physical evidence to suggest that he ever left town with Marvin Gabriel, who was actually John's boss at the time, except he went by the name of Lance, an alias that he often used, and he had moved to an area called Altona, where the locals wouldn't have known him. You might remember in my last episode, the man I spoke to said John wouldn't have known Marvin as Marvin because he was removed from the area where he lived. He only met him when Gabriel moved to the Morley area where the Altona house was. It appears that Marvin was keeping his distance from his old stomping grounds and the rape charges that were dogging him. But it wasn't long before police started connecting the dots as far as people who were going missing and their associations with Marvin Gabriel which is why law enforcement was contacting people like Chad, who had connections to John Weeks, the most recent Gabrian associate to have gone missing. I had met him periodically over there at the junkyard, and uh, I guess uh, I guess I'd met him briefly just in passing uh, when I like picked up Allie, uh, Aline. She was his girlfriend, Aline, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And at that time, we're talking in 19... 97 when he went missing. So he was around 20. Were you the same age? Yeah, I was like 21, 20, something like that. The first police report I have associated with his case was from Macosta County, who assisted Nuego County. Um, and so what happened in the police report that I got is parts of it, just the parts of it where they started the missing person section. And in it, you had said that um, during that time period, from May 25th, 1997 to June 27th of 1997, um, you guys had spent almost every day together. Does that sound right? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, it varied on different days. Um, but yeah, we pretty much at least hung out for at least a few hours almost every single day. Uh, I was friends with Aline and when him and Aline started dating, uh, she invited him to hang out with us. Okay. So let's start with, there came a, a point when um, John got kicked out of his grandmother's house. Do you know what happened as far as that altercation? It only says there was an issue with, with Aline, actually, but the report doesn't say exactly what happened. Yeah, I don't, uh, I actually don't recall why he got kicked out of his grandmother's. And he didn't have a vehicle at the time, did he? No, uh, actually, I was, I was the only one with a vehicle. Then where does he start living? He was bouncing around from friend's house to friend's house. Um, if memory serves me correctly, I had him stay at my place for a few days. Detective Sergeant Rao with the Macosta County Sheriff's Department had been contacted by Detective Robert Van Belsen, an investigator with the Nuego County Sheriff's Department, in mid-August of 1997, about a month after Marvin Gabriel had last been seen in the Nuego area with John Weeks at a campsite near Hungerford Lake. This was a little over a year after Rachel Timmerman reported being raped by Marvin Gabriel. During this time, Rachel did five months in jail for a probation violation and, ironically, that five-month stint kept her out of harm's way because just nine days after she was incarcerated, sheriff's deputies arrested Marvin Gabriel for her rape. He went in on January 20th, and two weeks later, on February 4th, he got out of jail. The judge had set bond at $75,000 because he had a rap sheet including assaults and robberies and a veritable feast of DUI charges. His lawyers got that bail reduced to 40000 and Marvin was able to manipulate friends and family into bailing him out. Wayne Davis went missing eight days after Marvin walked out of jail. The day after Wayne went missing, he was supposed to turn himself in to serve a 90-day stint for a previous DUI. Wayne never showed. On May 5th, a few months after Wayne went missing, Rachel Timmerman was released from jail. Twice in the month after, she called 911 to say that Marvin Gabriel was following her. During this time is when John Weeks began calling her. Finally, they made a date, and on that fateful night, Rachel said goodbye to her dad, and along with her baby, left the house on June 3rd, a month after she had been released from jail. The next day, John Weeks and Marvin Gabriel, or Lance, as John knew him, were seen by multiple people in a truck with Rachel near Oxford Lake, where she would later be found. The next night, a neighbor saw Gabriel cleaning out his boat and using a grinder to remove the registration number. Then, Marvin went out of town to mail the letters he'd made Rachel write to her father, a judge, and the detective, retracting her rape allegation in the latter two and telling her father that she had left town with the love of her life. John Weeks was seen at a party around the time Marvin was out of town mailing those letters. The Macosta County Sheriff's Department had been called to that party for a noise complaint. The next day, his grandmother made both John and his girlfriend leave her home. John was no longer allowed to live there. The report doesn't go into detail about why, other than to note that there was a disturbance and assault at the residence involving John's girlfriend. As a result of that, Grandma Weeks asked them to leave immediately. His grandmother said John returned two or three days later to get some belongings, and that was the last time she ever saw him. About a week later, Lance knocked on Grandma Weeks' door looking for John. 
Not finding him there, he went to Howard City to where John's girlfriend was living at the time. According to the report, he told multiple people he wanted his dope or his money, though Chad doesn't remember it quite that way from his conversation with Marvin. During this time, John is bouncing around, sleeping everywhere from Chad's car to a barn loft and under a bridge in Howard City. It looks to me like he was trying to lay low, maybe even hide from the guy he calls Lance. The report says that Chad tells police the last time he saw John was June 27th, about a week or so after the last time his grandmother sees him. But he does remember speaking with him a few days later on July 4th on the phone. So do you, do you recall when the last time you remember seeing him was or what occurred on that occasion? I don't remember everything that happened that day. Um, I do, I do remember quite vividly uh, a discussion just before I dropped him off in Howard City that day. Um, he had said something about uh, he had found some uh, temporary work and uh, he wasn't going to be around for a few days. And uh, Allie and I were just like, okay, you know, just keep in touch. So he didn't say what the work was or where it was? No. Okay. So in the report, it says that that um, the last day you saw him, I believe, was the 27th, if I'm not mistaken. But then there's an um, incident. It says that you got a call on July 9th from his boss. Do you remember that? Yep. Uh, a guy that I knew by the, at that time of, uh, by the name of Lance somehow, I don't know how, got my parents' phone number, which is where I was staying at, uh, and called me wanting to know if I knew where to find John at. And I told him I hadn't seen him in a while. But I had talked to him a couple days, uh, a few days before that. You talked to him on the phone, you mean? Yeah. Okay, so he called you, or you were, did he have, how did, how was he able to get in touch with you? If memory serves me correctly, I believe he actually called me from his grandmother's place. This is around the same time that Rachel Timmerman's body is found in Oxford Lake. In the next few days, the news would report on the story, and it wouldn't be long before the public knew that that body was Rachel Timmerman. A week after Rachel's body was found, Marvin is still pretending to be Lance, and he calls Chad, someone he has never met, looking for John. I think by now Marvin was determined to find and kill John Weeks. To Marvin, John was just another witness to his bad deeds, and Marvin Gabrion did not leave witnesses. On July 18th, police got a tip that Marvin was spotted at Hungerford Lake camping. When police arrived, they found baby bottle nipples and a barrette, but no Gabrion, and no sign of John Weeks. Police would catch up with Marvin Gabrion two months later in Sherman, New York, when he'd be taken into custody. But John Weeks was never seen again. What it says in the report is that um, the, his boss, Lance, told you that he had, John had ripped him off for 90 bucks and he better get his money back or else. Do you remember that? No, uh, what I remember is that Lance had called me, said that John owed him some money, and he just wanted to find out where he was, to find out when he was going to get paid back. And I told him I didn't know where he was or, or, or anything. And matter of fact, the last time I had talked with John, uh, John had actually called me because he didn't want to call Allie and break the news to her. Um, 
he said that he was going to go with Lance on one of his runs down to Texas for religious books for his bookstore and that Lance was going to drop him off on the way in Arizona. Why was he going to Arizona? Um, I guess he had lived there uh, at some point in time and had a lot of friends there. John did? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how true that was or anything, because I never had any proof from John that he actually lived there. John's mother told me that they had lived in Arizona. She and her best friend lived in Phoenix, and she had taken John there for a short time after he had inherited a bit of money in the hopes that he wouldn't blow it and maybe get a job and gain some independence. But according to her, it didn't work out, and they weren't there for very long before they returned to Michigan. According to her, he didn't make any friends in Phoenix because he stayed in the apartment most of the time, and usually he was with her when they did go out. She described John as shy and quiet at the time, his only friends being the sons of her best friend. So when he first told you that he was, you and Allie together, that he was going to be out of town for a few days, that wasn't, that was something separate than the, than the, the next time you heard from him that he was going on a trip with Lance? Yeah. Okay, so he had gotten some kind of work, he thought, and then Lance calls you looking for him, and he says he's going out of town with him to go get religious books. And it was a few days before Lance called me, he said that he was going to go out of town, that Lance had a run to make Texas to pick up a religious book for his book, uh, religious bookstore, and oh. that Lance was going to drop him off in Phoenix, in Arizona, on his way to Texas. And why, so he was wanting you to break the news that he wasn't coming back to Aline? No, he didn't want to be the one to tell Aline that uh, he was going to be going to Phoenix for a couple of months. And what was he, did he say why he had picked Phoenix and what he was going to be doing there? Because he had friends he could stay with and he was, I think he felt like he had run out of place to stay around this, around this area. And so he was, I guess, hoping to, to get a new start with the help of old friends in Phoenix, Arizona. All right. And, and Lance was the one that was going to take him there and drop him off. Does anything about him, his that conversation sound weird to you? No, because he had said some, uh, he had said a few things to me, uh, just in brief mention about how he used to live in Phoenix, Arizona, how he had friends there, that he had had thoughts about going back there, um, to try to get back on his feet again. Okay. And this was before this whole, uh, before he ended up making this actual plan of going with, uh, Lance. Yeah. All right, so you don't remember there being any argument as far as between Lance and him about any money that was taken from him? No. Okay. Lance had just loaned him some money, and he was just looking to get paid back. I see. And I knew John had said that a friend of his had uh, some sort of, I guess it was like a construction-type job as a... Little side, like side project, like a, like maybe a roofing project or a drywall project or something. Right. That wanted him to help him with and he was going to pay him for it. In those couple days, that, that was the job that he was going to have for those couple days. Yeah. Before he yeah. just went out of town. Okay. So he was going to stay down in Grand Rapids. Okay. So it was in Grand Rapids where that job was supposed to be? I think. All I, all I 
clearly remember is him saying that it was out of town. I think it was Grand Rapids, maybe Holland or something like that. Um, but he was going to be gone for a few days, maybe a week or so. Okay. And before that call from his boss, Lance, had you ever met his boss before? No. I had heard John talk about him and that he did, uh, he did work, um, like unloading books from, from the van and, and trucks and, uh, putting them up in the bookstore, sorting and stuff like that for them. John had said that to you? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because when they went to that house to search it, there was only one book in there and it was a, like a creepy serial killer type book. It was never wow. a store as far as I am aware. He might have wanted it to be, but. I know the place was a storefront at one time years and years ago. Uh, it was actually like a little general store way uh-huh. day when it was first built. Um, and I don't know how Lance came into possession of it or anything like that. And I didn't even really know the place even was there until after all this stuff happened. And I went to that little town just outside of, uh, what, outside of Stanwood, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I just went by just to see what the place looked like that the cops were asking me about. And... I mean, it just looked like a run-down old store that nobody was using. Marvin Gabriel had purchased a store under the name of Robert Allen, who was still missing. Gabriel had been cashing his Social Security checks for a couple years when he moved to the Altona area to hide out. Now, I call it a store because it had once been an old general store, but it was really an old house, and for some reason he had decided he was going to open up a Christian bookstore. I have no idea why, given how small Altona is, I doubt any kind of bookstore would have done enough business to stay afloat. I suspect that it was more about telling people about it, using the word Christian to try to wear it as some sort of mask, a facade to cover the fact that he'd killed multiple people. Killers often have a come-to-Jesus moment, at least publicly. It's usually for show, generally as a means of hiding their true evil. About a week before police got a tip that Marvin was camping out near Hungerford Lake, police got a search warrant for the old Altona property. Neighbors said that neither he or John Weeks had been seen around there in a while. According to Robert Allen's sister, he'd met Gabriel at an AA meeting. She didn't know much about him except that when they had searched the Altona house, they found some of her brother's ID in the walls of the house, as well as his glasses. That little tidbit floored me. They were thick black glasses that I suppose Gabriel could have kept and worn while trying to assume his identity, but the very idea of killing someone and keeping their glasses is kind of gruesome, particularly since I saw no evidence that Alan had even been in the Altona area. It's much more likely that Marvin killed him and disposed of him in the Grand Rapids area where they were both living at the time. Yeah, I had heard that he had made some uh, bookshelves or something for him. Uh, was building bookshelves for Lance. But do you know how often he was actually working and getting paid by him? Uh, usually just whenever Lance called him and told him that he needed his help. So, like, not even on a a, a weekly basis, just here and there. Yeah, my uh, I think it was maybe a couple days a week, if that, and and some weeks not at all, and you know other weeks he'd have him work maybe three or four days. 
All right. Did he ever say anything about him, anything negative about him? Like he was uncomfortable with him or anything like that, John, about Lance? He actually always talked very highly of him. Did he? Okay. Huh. Do you remember anything specific he said about him? Um, uh, that he was a nice guy. He, you know, he paid him good for when he did have him work. Okay. That's right. All this, thing, all this whole, you know, John disappearing and Lance turning out to be this Marvin Gabriel and him being responsible for, for that girl's death and, and her baby's death. It, it knocked me for a loop, honestly. Did you know Rachel Timmerman? Yes, I, I actually knew her. Um, I had no, I, I had met her and hung out with her for a little while, a couple years prior. Um, through some mutual friends. Um, I was friends with this uh, girl named Shauna Lovers. And friends of hers that lived in Cedar Springs, um, one of her friends was actually dating Rachel. And we went over to Rachel's house one day to hang out in the backyard. So, I mean, I have like a long-term like friendship with her. But... We had hung out a few days here and there uh, over the course of, uh, oh, I think it would have been the spring of uh, 95, I think. Okay, so that's a couple years earlier. Did you know that uh, that John had been calling her? No, I had no clue. The thing about him going missing is that uh, it is interesting that he did have some ties to Arizona because that wasn't the impression that I was getting in my reading. But you saying that he had mentioned when you spoke to police, did you is that what you told them to when they um, talked to you? I assume they talked to you a couple times. Uh, actually, yeah, um, they actually had me come down to Grand Rapids and do a polygraph. Oh, my God. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, because the the description of the last person seen with Rachel had a baseball cap, glasses, long hair, and was driving a blue Chevy. I fit the description because I had long hair. I always wore a baseball cap. I had glasses. uh, And I was driving a dark blue four-door Chevy uh, car. And I asked them. I was like, the the detective from Acosta County that talked to me. Mm -hmm. I was like, what color blue was it? He was like, well, it's like a regular blue. I was like, okay, well, I pointed to my car. And I said, you see that car right there? I was like, that's dark blue. Can't be the same car. I was like, how many doors did the car have? He's like, well, it was a two-door. I was like, see that car right there? That's a four-door. That's my car. That's the only car I drive. So the, po- the person that was last seen with her supposedly had a baseball cap on and long hair? And was driving yeah, a blue like, Chevy. Like I pointed out to the cop, the the detective that came and talked to me. I was like, right now, for five bucks, you can go to Walmart and buy these baseball caps with this fake long hair attached to it. I'm not sure if this was just the description of the last person seen with John up to that point, and they learned differently as the investigation moved forward, or if police were fibbing to gauge Chad's reaction because they were trying to decide whether he had somehow assisted John and getting Rachel to come out with him that night. According to her father, Rachel had told him that a boy had asked her out on a dinner date and she'd be back in a few hours. She told her father the boy had asked her to bring baby Shannon along. 
That's all police knew up to that point, that someone had picked Rachel up for a date. But it wouldn't be long before witnesses began describing a blonde woman in a truck with two men that fit the description of Marvin Gabrion, whose faces had been plastered all over TV, as well as John Weeks, a guy who did some work for a man who lived in a rundown old store in Altona who went by the name of Lance. And this Lance was a man described by neighbors as looking suspiciously like Marvin Gabrion. And now John Weeks was missing too. What the narrative that we know fails to illuminate is what John Weeks knew and when he knew it. He was seen in the truck with Rachel and Gabrion at the Oxford Lake ramp, but not seen when Gabrion was speeding away, almost running a couple off the road. Did he witness what Gabrion did or was about to do and then left on foot? That's a hell of a remote area. If he knew anything at all about what Marvin had done to Rachel and her baby, why would he be days later at a campground with Gabrion, helping him try to hide his boat? which Gabriel was clearly doing. It's hard to imagine that he watched Marvin, or Lance as he knew him, wrap a woman's eyes and mouth with duct tape, chain two cinder blocks to her and help him get her into a boat, or, God forbid, get in the boat with them. But how do we explain him being on the shore of Oxford Lake on what appears to be the day she was dumped into that lake? Either he knew exactly what Marvin did, he participated, and he's as monstrous as Gabriel or he was another person Marvin was able to manipulate, and then he met a similar fate after getting more involved with him than he had initially bargained for. I was eventually able to locate an interview with a witness associated with John Weeks, and it suggests that he had some knowledge, and from what it sounds like, may have even participated, if the witness is to be believed. Actually, it's two witnesses. Chris and Ted took a ride to Grand Rapids that summer, right around the time Rachel went missing, to buy some pot, and John Weeks went with them. The following is from a transcript done by law enforcement with Ted. Chris would essentially back up this story when he was questioned. Just to note, this transcript began regarding another crime and what this witness knew about that, and then they got into the discussion of John Weeks. Okay, just before I turned on the tape, you said you knew of something that was worse than that. What were you talking about? About John Weeks. Who's John Weeks? He lives in Morley. I was kind of friends with him for a little while. Um. When were you friends with him? Over the summer. This summer? Last summer? Uh, this summer. Where did John Weeks live? Right in Morley. I don't know the name of the road. He lived with his grandmother. Where did his grandmother live? Right behind my girlfriend's grandma's. I, I don't know the name of the road. So would it be right behind there, like one block behind there, or one house? The next road, the next road to the west. Toward the freeway? Yeah, and the second house from the corner. What color is the house? White. Okay, what's worse about Mr. Weeks than the other case? Well, we were in the car. Whose car? Um, we were in Chris's car. John had... No, wait, we were in my car. I was taking him to Grand Rapids. We went down to Grand Rapids to buy some weed and, um... John had like eight, nine hundred dollars. He said he made that in one night or something. We asked him how he made it, and he said um, he picked up some woman for the guy that he worked for, and he brought her to his house, and he killed her. Was he there when he killed her? Yes. He, he acted like, I think he's the one that got rid of the body. What do you mean by that? Because he said, he's like, I seen it. I seen him kill her, or something like that. Then I helped get rid of her, something like that. Did he say how he got rid of her? No, but I... You guys didn't ask? I just thought he was bullshitting, you know? You didn't hear nothing about no murders on or nothing, and 
And just lately on TV, you hear about them finding a body of a woman and, and how John's missing and somebody else is missing. And, and then they found that guy in another state. What guy? I can't remember his name now. Did John happen to say who he was, who he did this with? He told me his name, but I don't remember. I know it's the same guy that... How do you know? Do you recognize the name? Yeah, but I don't, I don't remember that name now. Was the name Gabriel? I think so. Tell me to the best that you can remember what exactly he said. He said that he went and picked her up, picked a woman up, and that was the guy's girlfriend. Did he mention anything about a little kid? No, but he, he said he went and picked a woman up and he brought her, um, he brought her to the guy's house. And he just said that, uh, said that about one thing, he said that she owed him money or something. Then later on, he said that it was his girlfriend and that he was at, he said that they killed her. Whose girlfriend, Weeks or the other guy? The other guy's. So he went and picked her up, took her to the other guy's house. Did he say where the house was? No, but, um, I remember him saying that the guy was, was who he worked for and stuff. Did he say what the guy did? Uh, he'd done other stuff. I think he was selling coke for him or something. He said he saw him kill her? Yeah. Did he say how? He goes, I brought her there so he could kill her, and I seen it. Okay, you said you thought he got rid of the body. What made you think that? Just the way he talked about it, acted about it. Meaning? He was like, I helped, I helped do it, or something like that. I helped get rid of her. Did he say, I helped get rid of her? He said he helped him with it pretty much, is what he didn't actually say, I did help kill her. He, he helped get rid of her, he said. I helped him with it. How come you didn't report this thing to anybody? I just, I, I didn't really, I figured it's kind of hearsay, you know, because John, uh, I didn't know. It's kind of hearsay. He told us that a long time ago. At the time, I thought he was bullshitting. When did you take this trip to Grand Rapids, do you recall? Oh, a long, uh, quite a while ago. I, I don't even remember what month it was. It was, it was in the summer. When's the last time you saw Mr. Weeks? Three, four months ago, three months ago. And where was that? The last time I seen him, it was in town by the store. I talked to him for a second, and I seen his girlfriend, and she said that he was in jail or something. Where was he in jail at? I don't know. That's just what she said. He's in jail or something. That they broke up, and that she never seen him again. Who's his girlfriend? Oh, shit, I think... I can't remember her name. John's grandma knows her. Where's she from? Howard City. Can you describe her to me? Uh, she's about 5'5", five, five, long hair, skinny. What kind of vehicle did John have? Uh, John didn't have one. John have any other friends that you know of? Uh-uh. Nobody? Every time I seen John, he was with just him and his girlfriend. Does Chris know John? Yeah. How does Chris know him? Same way I do, from the time he's... I met him in the summer, pretty much. He's He said this in front of me and Chris. Chris wrote home to his dad about it, asking his dad to find out if there was anything about him if they found John or anything like that, but I don't know. I just, I didn't really think much of it. I figured I didn't know for sure 100%, so I didn't say anything. What'd you guys do when you went to Grand Rapids? Went and bought a bag of weed. You did get some weed? Where'd you go? A house. I, I don't know the address. Somebody you know or somebody he knows? Somebody I knew, but I did didn't... Did he spend any of his money to buy some drugs or no? Yeah, that's why I knew it was weird that he had so much money, because he gave me a hundred dollars, you know? I was kind of friends with him, and but not really that good of friends, and he handed me $200 thinking that he had given me a 100 and I went in and got $200 worth of pot, and I came back, and I was going to give, I gave him $100 worth, and he never said nothing about the other 100 so I knew he had just way too much money, you know, he didn't just, he didn't just uh, go make that a hard day's work, you know, because he didn't even have a clue, he, he had a roll that thick of money. You're indicating an inch thick. 
He had a couple thousand dollars. At least a thousand. I guarantee it. I honestly think he's dead. Why do you think that? I think maybe he... That guy got worried about what he knew, was worried about him saying something, maybe telling people about it, because John's missing, and whoever that other guy is, they're both missing, right? It's not my case. I'm not sure of all the facts. In the paper, it says two people, John Weeks and somebody else, both missing, and, and they're both suspects in it. And they found that other guy, Gabriel, or whatever the hell his name is. But you don't remember him mentioning any names in the car? No. I'm positive that's who he was working for, though. Why? He would go to work and he would come back with like a hundred or two hundred dollars, you know, like that, all of a sudden. He would go where? To that guy's house. Would you be willing to talk to the other detectives about this? Yeah. Ten days before John Weeks was last seen, during the time he was apparently hiding out from him, Marvin Gabrion was spotted at another local lake. Too good lake. The timing makes me wonder if he was scoping that lake out for another possible body dump site. This time maybe John Weeks. On July 9th of 1997, a man called in a tip about a suspicious sighting from when he and his girlfriend were on vacation camping near Too Good Lake, horseback riding and fishing. The day prior to this suspicious sighting, someone had entered their campsite and stolen their home light chainsaw. According to them, this theft had put them on guard for unusual suspects. On the day of the strange sighting, the man was busy cleaning fish when a burgundy-colored Chrysler New Yorker pulled into the campsite. The vehicle was occupied by a male driver and two females who were seated in the back seat. One female appeared to be much older than the other. The male then proceeded to climb out of the vehicle through the open driver's side window, walked up to him and asked for a beer. The whites of his eyes were bloodshot and they were both black and blue like he'd gotten into a fight. There was a cut over one eye. He was shirtless, wearing cut-off pants and no shoes. During their conversation, the woman in the car referred to him as Mark. At least that's what the man thought he heard. But I should note that many people call Marvin Gabrion Marv. When this Mark asked for a beer, the man said, I don't think so. The strange man became very aggressive, yelling, You're not going to be friendly about it, are you? And then he said, I'll give you five bucks for one. The camper again said no, worried that because of his aggressive nature, they might be working toward a fight. The conversation, while confrontational, included the stranger discussing his personal life, saying that he lived outdoors most of the time, staying at campgrounds, and he frequently moved after four or five days. He said he had previously spent some time at Too Good Lake camping. At one point in the conversation, he reached down and put one of the man's dogs in a headlock. As the conversation amped up, the women in the car called for the stranger, and that's when the man thought he heard the name Mark. The women were calling and saying they wanted to leave, and so the stranger got back into the car and drove away. The quick-thinking tipster took down the license plate of the vehicle, and that vehicle was traced to a woman with ties to Marvin Gabrion. Where that car ended up is also interesting. In the July 13th edition of the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette newspaper, there was an ad listing a 1994 Chrysler for sale for $400. A man named Lester saw that ad, and because his 16-year-old needed a car, he called the number. It ended up being a motel in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now, this was nine days after Rachel Timmerman was last seen, right about the same time frame as John Weeks was last heard from, and about three weeks after the strange man had rolled up on some campers at Too Good Lake, demanding beer. 
Now Lester wants to buy this car, so he, along with his ex-wife and his son, head over to the Value Lodge and make contact with the man in room 217, which the advertisement had listed. The man said he was keeping the car at a truck stop about two blocks away from the motel. So they drove the man over to the truck stop, which also housed a Sitco gas station. In the back of the lot, the man showed them the Chrysler. When Lester was later interviewed, police asked him what he'd seen in the motel room and if there was any sign of a baby or child. Lester said there was no evidence of another person being in the room, child or adult. He described it as messy with clothing strewn around, but not much else. They test drove the vehicle and offered $350 for it, despite the fact that you had to place two wires together to get the car started once the key was turned on. Now, I don't know where you guys are from, but where I'm from, that's called hot wiring. Lester said they went back to the man's hotel to get a receipt, and later that evening, he tried to get the Fort Wayne police to come out and inspect the vehicle, but they refused. So they drove it home, and he reported it to the Geneva police so they could verify whether it had been stolen. Lester added that the guy told them he'd gotten the car from his sister, and he'd come from Michigan to sell it. When shown a picture of Marvin Gabrion, Lester positively identified him as being the man who'd sold him the car. In an interesting twist, one that illustrates how sometimes there can be little coincidences that are nothing more than that, but still have to be checked out, Lester's last name, Ebright, was the same as the relatives associated with the woman whose car Marvin had tried to sell him. None of them lived in the same state, but as you might imagine, it took police a hot minute to verify, to be sure these folks weren't all somehow related and not being upfront about what had occurred. Both the son and the ex-wife gave statements, and along with hotel records and fingerprints, the basic outline of what happened was substantiated. Police learned that Gabrion had stayed at the Value Lodge in Fort Wayne, Indiana from July 9th to the 16th. One more very interesting thing that police learned from the phone records is that Gabrion had called the local Payless Optical from the hotel room. When they checked with the store, they learned that someone had called under the name Bob Allen and made an appointment for 10 a.m. on the 21st but never showed up. Robert, or Bob Allen, was the other man who went missing from Grand Rapids and whose social security benefits Gabrion had been stealing for two years. One has to wonder what that was all about. So what other questions were they asking you when you took the polygraph? Um, they asked me if I knew if uh, John was, was alive or, or if I thought he was dead. And I told, I told them, I was like, you know, John and I, for the short time, we actually hung out on a regular basis. We developed a very strong bond. My instincts told me that he was alive and that he was in Phoenix, Arizona. And how he got there, I don't know. But I do know from information that I received from John prior to him disappearing was that if he went to Phoenix, no one would be able to find him. So he was planning on going missing, you think? Like, you know, going off the grid? Uh, after he disappeared, it kind of occurred to me that, yeah, he, he was actually planning it for a while. All right. So now, with the hindsight of, of knowing that he was actually spotted at the lake with Marvin Gabrion in the car with Rachel, now what do you think about it? I didn't know he was spotted in the car with Marvin and Rachel. Yeah. He also was the person that was calling, according to Eline, she saw him calling a Cedar Springs number on a payphone in the weeks leading up to the murder, calling someone, and she he told her it was for Lance. I know the police told me that according to phone records from, that they had uh, that they had gotten from his grandmother's phone, 
uh, showed that he had been calling her uh, weeks prior to his disappearance. They even asked me if uh, they thought that he was capable of murder or that he would have voluntarily been a part of, a, of her murder. And from what I knew of John, <laughs> about the only thing I ever knew that John would have killed would have been a bug. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't have hurt a dog. He wouldn't have hurt a cat. You know, uh, uh, people that, that are capable of killing, I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't think that it, you know, like killing any sort of animal would be a problem. Well, tell me about his personality. Would he have been someone that would have been easily manipulated? Or if, for example, Marvin, I mean, all we know for sure as far as he went is he was down there at that campground, right? The day that she went missing. So he was down there. We don't know if he helped Marvin tie her up and put her in the water and went out there or if Marvin did it and he left on foot and got the hell out of there. But he was there up to a point. And so the I want to know if you think if he was maybe someone that was easy, easily manipulated or was he intelligent? What, what was his personality like? Um, I never saw John as a person that was easily manipulated. He... If he if he wanted to do something, he was determined to do it. Um, if uh, he didn't want to participate in something, he wouldn't participate in things. So he'd stick up for himself, you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one thing I know that uh, caused a lot of drama between him and uh, his aunt and uncle that uh, basically took the junkyard away from him, which is why he wasn't working there anymore, was because... He finally, in his late teens, decided, you know what, I'm not going to take any more, any more uh, garbage from them. And he stood up for himself and told them off and that that should be his junkyard. And, yeah. <laughs> so let's say, um, just for sake of argument, I don't think this is the case, but let's say he did run off to – Phoenix, if there's not been any activity on his social security number or anything, um, you actually think he's the type of person that could just, like, get records and, and create a whole new life? Uh, that I'm not entirely sure of. Um, I mean, he claimed that uh, his friends in Phoenix um, were capable of hiding him out and preventing him from being found. Um, and like I told the FBI and the Michigan State Police and Costa and Nuevo County and Montcalm County, uh, at the polygraph, because they were all there. Really? Yeah, the FBI was there. Holy shit. I was like, listen, you know, I can find John. I said, all it would take is a round trip ticket for me to Phoenix, Arizona, and them to stay out of it until... I made contact and got a hold of them. And they were like, clearly, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, they refused to send me there because uh, Aline and I would have been the only people, I think, that he would have came out of hiding for. Hmm. So that makes you wonder, did he hide because he saw what Marvin did and he was like, I'm getting the hell out of here? Or did Marvin get rid of him like now there's other people that marvin are still that's still missing you're aware of wayne davis the one that was found in twinwood right no okay wayne davis was 
Um, when Marvin went to was arrested for the rape after during a t uh, period when they were doing a six month investigation, um, Wayne was one of the witnesses. And when when he, when uh, he got served papers, Wayne's name as a witness was on it. So as soon as he got he bailed out of jail in two weeks, and right after in February of ninety seven, Wayne went missing, and he wasn't found until two thousand two, and he was found in Twinwood Lake. So it is n certainly more likely than not that John succumbed to him as well because they they believe he went missing 18 days after Rachel's uh, Rachel went missing on the 4th 18 days or so after that is what the court documents say and they believe he was a witness to the murder that he was there at the scene were were at the campground with him and at the scene at Oxford Lake so it's more likely than not that Marvin Gabriel did something to John Weeks uh I mean, I don't know Marvin. I've never met him. I did see a picture of him in the newspaper, but uh, it was like a rest photo, so it definitely was not a very, very <laughs> good photo of him. Yeah. Um. Uh, but I mean, I'm not a big guy. I'm I'm six foot tall. I, I at the time I was about 150, 160 pounds. And John was much bigger than I was. I don't see, I never saw John as being someone easy to take out. So basically what you're saying is if Marvin did something to him, he would have had to have a gun on him or something. Yeah. To control him. My personal belief is John could have taken him. Okay. Yeah, that's something I want to know too, because obviously um, he, you're, you're going to fight for your life if, you know, and... What we know is that we know he was at the scene with Marvin. We don't know how much he knew and how much Marvin, because Marvin lied to everyone. So we don't even know if he knew that Marvin had raped Rich, Rachel beforehand. You know what I mean? That all came out afterward. John might not have even known that. But we do know that he did participate in calling her and what, whatever, whatever uh, Lance told Lance, Marvin told him, um, he got him to do that. So he manipulated him enough to get him to, pretend being dating this girl so that Marvin could get a hold of her because he had tried to, he was stalking her as he, when he got out of jail and he, she had called the called 911 twice. And she even said on the last occasion, I'm just calling to let you guys know that he's going to kill me. And he was getting rid of all the people that knew about the rape. Um, so I, we know that he did manipulate John at some point, but we don't know what Marvin was telling him, what he was doing, and it sounds like he wasn't telling them anything because if if if, if John always talked about him well, you know, he didn't know anything bad about him. Well, from what I understood from what uh, the cops had told me um, was that they had talked to Allie and that Aline had told them that uh, John had been contacting her because she was buying weed from Marvin. At that polygraph is when, when we had our biggest discussion, and they said that they had already talked with Aline, and that she said that the only reason why John was contacting her is because she was buying weed from Marvin. Are you saying the only reason why John was hanging out with her was because, of, um, because she was buying pot from Marvin? Okay, this is what was explained to me. From Aline's statement, they said that Aline had told them that Rachel would contact John, and when he wasn't home, he'd give her a call back. 
and that she was contacting John to get a hold of Marvin to buy weed off of him. I see. And so that's what Aileen had told them. Yeah. How true that is, I don't know, because honestly, I don't really trust the cops. What what came out in the investigation eventually, and what's in all the court documents, is that he was pretending to ask her out on a date. What she told her dad before she left that night, she had been telling him that she'd been talking to this guy. And there were other people that she talked to and said, what do you know about this guy, John? You know, and from her perspective, from Rachel's perspective, he was trying to ask her out. And so that's what she told her and asked her on that last night, bring your kid along. Well, I'll take you to dinner. So that's what she thought they were doing that night. Are you thinking that what she told her dad was a lie then? What little I do know about Rachel uh, from the past, um, was that I'm pretty sure her parents were against her smoking pot. All John Weeks' girlfriend knew is what she saw and what John told her. She knew John had been repeatedly calling another girl, and according to her, John told her he was doing that for Lance. Did Rachel smoke pot? Yes, that five-month stint in jail was due to a pot charge. But she hadn't been getting her pot from John prior to that. She had only just met him before she went missing, and I'm guessing the violent assault Marvin Gabriel perpetrated upon her wasn't a glowing advertisement for his future pot-selling services. But here's how we know for sure it's not true. Rachel didn't know that John knew Marvin Gabriel. We know that because John didn't know Marvin Gabriel. John knew a guy named Lance, who'd only befriended him when he moved to the area to hide out from the rape charge. Rachel didn't know John knew Marvin because John didn't know Marvin. He knew Lance. Now, maybe Rachel was trying to get pot from Lance, who she didn't know was Marvin Gabriel, through John Weeks. I think it's also likely that John Weeks did not know anything about the rape that had occurred in another town perpetrated by someone named Marvin Gabriel. John may not have even started connecting the dots until the news reported on a body that was found in Oxford Lake, the body of a girl that had gone missing, a girl with the same name as the girl he'd asked out on a date as a favor to his boss, Lance. A girl named Rachel Timmerman. We will probably never know for sure when John realized what he had gotten himself into, what he'd done, and his part in her death. Was he hiding out when he was sleeping under a bridge or in a barn loft or in a friend's car? Or was that just the result of him not having a stable home? Had he been contemplating leaving town, heading to Arizona, and starting a new life? Did he really decide to take a trip with Lance to pick up religious books and let him drop him off in Arizona? Or had he only mentioned Arizona in passing to Lance, just like he did with Chad? And Marvin Gabriel used that information as the basis upon which he would fashion a plausible story about leaving him there, because that's the story he told police. The last sighting we have of John with Marvin Gabriel was back in early June at that campground right after Rachel went missing. Everything after that is Gabriel calling around looking for him, driving multiple times by the houses of people who knew John, clearly intent on finding him. Rachel's body hadn't been found yet when John called Chad on July 4th. Her body turned up the next day. Four days after Rachel's body was found, Lance would call Chad, someone he has never met, looking for John. According to motel records, Gabriel was already in Fort Wayne, Indiana on the 9th, where he would stay until the 16th, during which time he'd sell the hot-wired car. 
I suspect that John was already dead when he called Chad and that was Marvin working on an alibi. But the muddy confluence of John's prior history in Arizona, coupled with his state of homelessness at the time he went missing, culminates in a perfect storm of confusion about what really happened to John Weeks in those last days of June and in the beginning of July before he was never heard from again, at least from the perspective of reasonable doubt. I know what happened. I think we all know what happened. But no jury could convict Marvin Gabriel of John Weeks' death with the evidence we have to date. We have no body, no murder weapon, and nobody that saw or heard about John Weeks being killed. At least nobody that came forward. If you do know anything in that regard, I'd love to hear from you. And I suspect police would, too. The FBI still has an open file on both John Weeks and Robert Allen. One thing we do know is this. In prison, Marvin Gabriel would tell another inmate there were more bodies in Oxford Lake. He even drew a map, and on it was written, Body of three, one found. Are those other two bodies John Weeks and Rachel's baby? Or is that just another ruse perpetrated by a madman? Maybe John Weeks is in Too Good Lake, where Gabriel was seen ten days before John went missing. Or maybe he's in one of the other many lakes in Nuevo County. There is certainly no shortage. But without any specific information about where to look, the case of John Weeks sits in a sort of purgatory. Did John do any harder drugs than pot? No. So you never saw him doing anything else? No, not when he was not when he was not when he was around here. Now he did admit to me that when he lived in Phoenix, Arizona before, that he was doing uh, crystal meth and cocaine and heroin when he was there. But when he came back, he said all that stopped. And I never saw him with any harder drugs. Um, matter of fact, him and Malene and I all smoked pot together on, on a regular basis. Yeah, pot never doesn't concern me because that's not going to make you into a crazy person. I'm only concerned with because I, I heard that for years um, uh, Marvin freebased coke. So, um, and he was really messed up, I know, around in the 80s when my other person disappeared that I'm trying to investigate. And he was in and out of state too. Because the paperwork, the police report says that Aline told them um, that he was going to Texas with Lance on a drug run. That's what she told the police in this report. That's what she told me afterwards. When I got a hold of her and be like, was like, hey, um, I don't know if the cops have gotten a hold of you, but I just had a detective here talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> Back in uh, whatever it was when they were investigating it. Because her and I were really close friends. And, I mean, over the years, from well, pretty much ever since his John's disappearance, uh, hanging out, I mean, we've bumped into each other a couple of times over the years. And... We've, we've never actually really hung out or talked on the phone or anything since then. But I do know from, from what I, from what I witnessed, uh, with John and Aline, um, and I mean, even just us hanging out at places, um, I remember one, one incident, um, you know, I didn't really want to get involved and this guy and girl, uh, we were just out hanging out, and uh, this guy and girl, they were getting into an argument. 
and uh, the guy looked like he was going to hit the girl, and John went over and was like, don't do it. I mean, he was, he was a protective person. I mean, if I was in trouble, he would have jumped in and, and saved my butt. He would have saved Aline, and he wouldn't have thought twice about it. See, that's why I'm wondering if when, when, when he was seen in the car with Rachel, was on the way... This was Rachel obviously was still alive because she was in the car with Marvin, in between Marvin and the baby. They, nobody, the witness didn't see the baby, though. They were on the road right outside of Oxford. Like, this was on their way to the lake. Um, but on the way out, another witness saw Marvin driving, and he was alone. So I'm wondering if at some point during that time when John figured out what Marvin was doing, he got the hell out of there. And then Marvin tracked him down later and realized... Now he's a witness and I have to get rid of him. Because we don't know that John knew exactly what he was planning on doing with Rachel. But at some point, he was there. At the, and the, the problem is, other witnesses saw him and, and um, Marvin together at Hungerford Lake a couple days later. He was, he was spotted at Hungerford Lake a couple days later. And they were trying to store their boat. They asked um, Marvin asked if he could store his boat on someone else's boat. Um, campground area because he didn't have a lot of room and they said um they said yes and they, they ran across him later and saw that his campground was big and he had a he had plenty of room so john was seen after the after rachel went missing went into the water john was seen with marvin so he may have left but Mar and then came back he may not have known marvin or may, marvin could have even sent him away we don't know but he was there before and he was there after uh, when John did call me on the 4th, I was, uh, I was actually getting ready to leave. Um, typical tradition, uh, for me over the years, uh, was to go to, uh, the Sand Lake Fireworks. And I asked him, you know, hey, you know, can I, can I pick you up somewhere? You know, you know, let's go to Sand Lake. And he said, you know, if he could, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd have his friend bring him. But he was kind of busy. See, I'm, he was moving around a lot around that time, and I'm just wondering if he was trying to... Because he... Here's the thing. Also, you know how Mar, uh, Lance called you looking for John? He called... Yeah. W went by the grandmother's house looking for him. He called um, uh, Eileen's mother at work um, and her aunt, who they went to... I mean, he was calling all over the place looking for John. I think John was hiding out from him, and then he found him. Or he was do Marvin was doing that to like set up an alibi, like he's pretending to look for him when he's already disposed of him, because he was cr going crazy, calling people all over the place looking for John. And like I said, I don't even know how he got my parents' number because only my friends had my parents' number. So how he located their number and called me was kind of odd because yeah. I didn't know him. Yeah. When they gave him my phone number. I feel like very much like John was trying to sort of lay low. And um, now whether he did try to go out of town on his own or he was planning on it and then Marvin caught up with him, um, I don't know. But I think he was definitely trying, um, Marvin was definitely trying to track him down. Because he was the only person that would have known what happened with Rachel and could connect him to that area besides those witnesses. That's one thing that made John and I such good friends right off of the rip because we were both a little different, you know, a little, little odd, you know, and so we just didn't click with 
with just anybody. Um, matter of fact, him and I were both Wiccan. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so, and I mean, Aline was too. And, and uh, you know, we, we did tarot card readings together. Um, we never practiced any, like, black magic. But, um, you know, if, uh, you know, like, if I went and, you know, worked a couple days for my parents on their dairy farm and, uh, you know, I, my shoulders were sore or something, you know, they'd do healing magic on me to, to help me feel better. And, you know, John would go do a little construction project here or there or uh, whatever. And, you know, he'd be like, man, I wrenched my shoulder today at work. And, you know, her and I would do some healing magic on him to, you know, help heal him up. Yeah, we never never used it for personal gain. We did tarot card readings for each other to uh, in hopes of uh, <laughs> preventing anything bad from happening to any of us. Right. So you just don't see him as like a violent type of person at all. He was very calm and peaceful, and and I mean, the only time I I think he would get violent is if somebody was in danger. And that's what makes me think because there were witnesses with him in the truck with um, Rachel on the way in, but on the way out of um, he, the witness that saw him, John wasn't in the car. So I'm wondering if either Lance sent him away before he wrapped her up and took her down there. You know, like when he left, he thought he, she was fine. And that makes more sense because if he saw and witnessed all that, you know, him doing something like that, it just doesn't make sense that he'd be back with him in four or five days when witnesses saw him at Hungerford Lake. Yeah, so either John didn't have any clue of what, what had went down, because I think John would have been the type of person that would have tried to stop Marvin with the sacrifice, sacrifice of his own life. Oh, see, that makes me sad. Like somebody else. He was that kind of person. I, I'm actually kind of glad that, you know, someone someone's trying to look into it some more and, and uh, you know, maybe somebody that knows something will come forward and, and uh, he'll be found. Something nagged at me about this one part of the court testimony. Question. Mr. Gabriel, the witness, testified that on the morning of June 6, 1997, he was awoken about 4 a.m. Heard you drag a boat across the gravel, take the boat into the garage, and grind something off it at the bow. Before you did that, you took three blocks and a chain out of the boat, and you later put them back and took off in your pickup truck. My simple question to you, sir, is we know where two of the blocks are. They're government exhibits 17 and 14. Where's the third block? What did you do with it? There was no three blocks in my boat, period. No blocks? No blocks. I assume the prosecutor was trying to show that the third, unaccounted for block, was used to weigh down baby Shannon. At least that's what he wanted the jury to take from that testimony. But it's the date that gets me and him leaving the house right after loading those three blocks into the boat. By the 6th, when he'd been seen grinding the identifying information off the boat, he had already disposed of Rachel and her baby. Rachel and John and Marvin had been seen at Oxford Lake by multiple witnesses on July 4th, two days prior, right there on the boat ramp. And there was no baby there. So where was he going on the 6th, two days later at 4 a.m.? his boat filled with more cement blocks and chains. Maybe the reason Marvin looked so mad while in the truck alone on the 4th, driving away from Oxford Lake is because John had left sometime during the event. 
Maybe he realized then what Marvin intended to do and he got his ass out of there and away from a situation he didn't want any part of. But if that's the case, I don't get why he would later meet back up with Marvin on the 6th, where they'd be seen by campers trying to get rid of the boat. He and Weeks were together there. What did Marvin do? Pick the boat up from where he'd left it at the site of the other campers after having been caught by them in a lie? Did he then take the boat home and grind off the numbers, leaving again at 4 a.m. with his boat in tow, full of cement blocks headed to wherever Weeks was? Regardless of what happened between July 4th and the wee hours of July 6th, I believe those second three cement blocks were meant for John, and that's where Marvin was headed when his neighbor heard him leave that morning. Marvin Gabriel was on his way to get rid of the last witness, the last person that could speak to what he'd done to Rachel Timmerman, the only other person that knew. In the next episode, I will explore some of Marvin Gabriel's social history and the mental health issues that have plagued his family for decades. Stay tuned.